0: To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com slash FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot slash FilmDaily.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, July 13th. 2020. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film in TV news. This is Slash Home Editor in Chief Peter Soretta. Joining me on to this podcast is Slash Home Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. Okay, let's dive into it. There's some big news this morning, some big Star Wars news. They have announced a new series for Disney Plus. It's an animated series. Brad, tell us about it.
2: Yes. Uh, so, Star Wars The Clone Wars just came to an end on Disney Plus with one final season. Uh, it was a big return and also a big send off for the show uh, after it really didn't get a chance to go out on the terms that Dave Filoni really wanted it to. Uh, and a big part of that final season. Uh, was a large role for this group of clone troopers known as the Bad Batch. Uh, they're a small group of elite and experimental clones, each of them having their own special uh, attributes that are kind of like mutations that came uh, in the clones that were uh, had their origin in Django Fett. And now that group of clone troopers is getting their own spinoff series called Star Wars, The Bad Batch. Um, it'll pick up after the Clone Wars have ended uh, and follow them as they try and find uh, their place, you know, in, in the world since now they no longer have uh, the purpose for which that they were created, which was to fight, you know, these Clone Wars. So they'll be going on various mercenary missions and just trying to figure out their, their place in this world.
1: Also, this, uh, you know, in this final season, the, the Bad Batch arc like kind of was like the first couple episodes. Uh, this group of clone troopers, they all look badass. They all have like painted uh, clone trooper gear and they each have their own like special abilities. Like you said, if I was a kid, I feel like I would be super into the Bad Batch. But as an adult, it really felt like these were episodes written prior to the the fact that they were going to make this final season the final season. And that they, like, had some of it in production and they had to finish it before they actually got to, like, you know, the stuff that tied into Revenge of the Sith and stuff like that. Like, it, it was probably some of the worst episodes of this final season. Uh, that said, you know, this could end up being, like, the Star Wars version of, like, G.I. Joe or the A-Team where these this motley crew is going on missions week after week. Uh, in a time in the Star Wars universe where the Empire is on the rise and, you know, uh, colonies and uh, planets are, you know, being subjugated and stuff like that. Brad, does that sound appealing to you at all?
2: Um, Somewhat. You know, I, I think that this group of characters is interesting mm-hmm. simply because of the fact, you know, that they're all the same, but they're also, you know, di- different in a way. And I think there's a potential to do something cool with that. I, I was thinking that this might be something akin to – You know, something that Star Wars has done uh, frequently, which is like maybe a series that turns the the Bad Batch into like uh, a Seven Samurai uh, or Magnificent Seven kind of group where they're just, you know, helping various people around the galaxy who, you know, hire them for whatever needs to be done.
1: I I guess my my real uh, hesitation with this series is that it's like another animated series set in... I almost want to say the Clone Wars era, but I guess it's going to be taking place right after that. You know, it's going to be taking place in the years following Revenge of the Sith. But it's still very much kind of like in that time period, that prequel time period. And I feel like we've gotten, you know, many seasons of animated shows from that era. Like, how do you feel about that, Brad?
2: Yeah, no, I mean, I I do agree just because for me, I'm, I'm most interested and most excited about the mere prospect of, Venturing into other places that we haven't explored much in the Star Wars universe, you know, there's so many different places we can go, so many time periods, so many new characters that can be created for us to follow, you know. And I think that the Mandalorian, you know, is is proof of that because there's there's obviously some familiar elements there, but it ventures off into, you know, a new story with characters that we hadn't seen before. And while the Bad Batch is a set of characters that is relatively young by Star Wars standards, you know, it, it's still something that is more familiar. And I just, I want them to, to venture out into uncharted territory. And I feel like this is kind of just treading water.
1: Yeah. It feels like, you know, feloni's not ready to let go of this. And, and also, you know, the Clone Wars was that final se- season as great as it is. I don't think it gave a complete um, conclusion to all the characters that were set up in th- the entirety of that series. So I'm guessing that this is kind of a, a backdoor way of kind of giving a con- conclusion to some of those characters and stuff, but I don't, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, another story that broke last week, this one is quite interesting. Matt Reeves is directing the Batman and apparently there's a spin-off TV series in the works. Chris, tell us about it.
3: Uh, yes. Yeah, so for HBO max, Matt Reeves and Terrence winter, who, uh, was a writer on The Sopranos and Boardwalk Empire and a bunch of other shows, are developing a, a spinoff TV series set uh, within the Gotham Police Department. Uh, the quote is that the show will, quote, <clears throat> build upon the motion pictures examination of the anatomy of corruption in Gotham City. So uh, that's really all we know. But th- this sounds a lot like uh, the the comic series run Gotham Central, which I really enjoyed, which was basically like a law and order TV show, but set in Gotham City. And, you know, Batman only popped up every now and then. But it was really all about how normal, uh, you know, human non-superhero cops deal with living in a city full of supervillains like, you know, the Joker and Mr. Freeze <laughs> and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, when when the CW series came out, uh, w- Gotham, I was actually hoping that series was going to be an adaptation of Gotham Central, but that turned out not to be. That was
2: also that. actually a Fox series. Oh, was it a Fox In series? D- I don't know In why D- I thought America. it
1: was CW. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Okay, um, yeah, but uh, I I think there is a lot of material here to get to, like you know, if especially if they're basing it off that that comic book series, I guess my question to you is and that comic series is i mean the gotham city police department is very corrupt there's problems there i think you see some parallels to what is going on today in our society in america um but is now right now a bad time to announce a cop show
3: i mean maybe i mean yeah it's it's it is it's definitely a weird time but you know they specifically point out the corruption in that that press release, and you know this was even covered in Batman Begins, where Gotham the police department is overrun with just really corrupt cops. Basically, the only good cop on the force was Jim Gordon. So, if they're trying to do something like that, where they're making you know a show about a corrupt police force, that might be interesting um i don't know how that'll go over I, i'm definitely just curious to see how this plays out just because i really like the idea of a a, a quote-unquote batman tv show that isn't really about batman uh, and you know if they you know if they really are pulling directly from gotham central and, and no one says they are but if they are it, it, they could actually make something interesting of this
1: what would you like to see here would, would you like to see you know batman make brief appearances like are, are the supervillains gonna be like a main part of the show like wh- what would you like to see in a gotham television series
3: it's tough because if they do that if they make the supervillains like a big part of the show then it really is just gonna turn into gotham because that show was like pretty much like ah we're gonna introduce a new goofy villain every week i, I really don't know and it, it's hard to say because if they are gonna have batman pop up is, is robert pattinson gonna play him because this is set in that world i just can't see do we know?
1: Do we know when this is set? Could this be like a prequel?
3: Uh, it does not say. It just says it's going to build upon what happens in the movie. So I'm guessing it's not a prequel. So I, I just can't imagine Robert Pattinson being like, "Yes, I will pop up for occasional cameo appearances." Then again, it might be built into his contract. I don't really know all all the specifics there.
1: Yeah, maybe one day on the sh- the shoot of the Batman, they could just film all the appearances of Batman. Yeah. I mean, especially show. if
3: it's, like, in Gotham Central, like, he's really just in the background. I thought that was, like, a really cool way. Like, you know, there was never, like, a full panel of, like, there's Batman. You would just see him, like, sort of, like, in the shadows. So maybe they could get away with, like, a double in that case. You just need to see, like, the ears. You don't have to see, like, the whole costume. You know what would be cool?
1: It would be cool if the pilot episode of this show was, or, like, the first couple episodes was, is seeing the events of the movie, but from... The perspective of the Gotham PD, so yeah, it's that like would be cool, yeah. seeing them working the case. Or, I mean, we don't know anything about it, but I'm, I'm assuming it's based on the long Halloween, so there would probably be a lot to be done there by the police, right? Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. And yeah, all that could work, yeah,
1: yeah. Okay, uh, speaking of another Batman, Batman Forever, uh, this was directed by Joel Schumacher, uh, you know, who just recently left us, and we learned this past week that there was actually a much darker, more serious. One hundred seventy minute cut of this film, Brad. Tell us about yes, it. Yes,
2: Batman Forever uh, is a very silly movie. Um, you know, it, it takes it in a Batman in a very campy direction, akin to the original Batman series from the nineteen sixties. So it's kind of weird to hear about a much darker, more serious cut of this movie. Uh, let alone one that lasts for nearly three hours. Um, but uh, Mark Bernardin, who is a writer on Castle Rock and Star Trek Picard, uh, he, he also is the co-host of Kevin Smith's Fat Man on Batman podcast, and that's where uh, talk of this uh, extended cut of Batman Forever actually came about. And he said that it exists somewhere, but apparently Warner Brothers is unsure if there's any hunger from fans to, to see it. But then uh, Variety followed up and found out that Even though this cut does indeed exist, it sounds like Warner Brothers maybe isn't exactly sure where it's at or even if it's something that can be put together to be released for people to see. Um, Some of the differences include uh, an extended opening sequence that actually shows Two-Face escaping from Arkham Asylum leading into what was the actual opening sequence uh, in theaters, which is Two-Face having a, a heist with a vault that he ejects from a skyscraper with a helicopter and (laughs) pretty crazy uh but apparently the bulk of the extra footage has to deal with the um extended sequences that show bruce wayne struggling psychologically with uh his identity as bruce wayne and batman and like um really digging into like the decision he made uh to be you know become a crime fighter and there's like sequences where he's uh confronting a giant human-sized bat which is like this vision and uh this this was actually released as a deleted scene in one of the home video releases of it and it's it's um it it's weird but it, it fits in with the stuff that did make it into the movie that is tied into that which comes about largely because of uh his relationship with psychologist chase meridian so yeah
1: I mean, it's hard to imagine for me a darker, more serious Batman Forever. I'm guessing that's that's Kevin Smith's wording. that's uh, that, that's actually what Mark Bernardin said. Or Mark yeah. Bernardin, Okay. Um. It's I, I. Is there any chance we'll ever see this? I mean, we're going to see the Snyder Cut. That's something we didn't expect to ever see the light of the day, right? Like,
2: I I doubt it, only because the demand isn't there nearly as much for a longer cut of Batman Forever as there was for this director's cut of justice league. And on top of that, you know, um, unfortunately, Joel Schumacher recently passed away. So we'd be looking at a cut of the movie that isn't necessarily approved by the director. And I'm betting that since it's an extended cut that didn't make it to theaters, that there's a lot of stuff that isn't done on it, like color correction, sound mixing, maybe some visual effects, probably even a lack of a score. So I think finishing this movie would probably be a pretty expensive endeavor And doing it without Joel Schumacher involved, it it makes it even less likely that it'll probably ever get released.
1: Yeah, you're probably right about that. Uh, One thing we've been talking about on the podcast for years now is Fast and the Furious 9 and the potential for the Fast franchise to take off into space. It's something that uh, Ben Pearson, who writes for the site, has been kind of pushing for for years. Uh, Looks like it, it might be happening. Chris, tell us about it.
3: Yes. Yeah, so this news comes from Ludacris, the rapper and co-star of the franchise. And I think it's worth pointing out that I feel like Ludacris has said things about the franchise in the past that were just not true. <laughs> so this, this might not be true. Chris, are
1: you trying to question the the, the reliability of Ludacris? No,
3: I would never do that. Ludacris is a saint. But um, during an interview, it was brought up that maybe the series could eventually go to space. And he said, quote, I will say that you are very intuitive because you said something right, but I'm not going to give it away. And then the interviewer kept pressing to get him to just flat out confirm that they're going to space and he kept playing coy and being like, I'm not going to tell you. So it's, it's, he's hinting that this is going to happen, but there's no guarantee that F nine will, will take them into space, but it might happen. You never know.
1: See, I love the idea of them going to space because it's so ridiculous. It's kind of like, you know, when Jason went to space, uh, uh, but I'm guessing they're going to have to come up with some kind of actual logical reason why they're going to space, uh, which is kind of boring. I just want to see like, you know, crazy space car chases and stuff. Oh, what 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 do you imagine, Chris? What, what kind of crazy space action would you like to see from the family?
3: I mean, in um the film Ad Astra, there's a scene where Brad Pitt has a chase scene on the moon with moon pirates, and I want something like that, where there are just like people in moon cars and they're driving. Uh, and and the cars are like defying gravity because, you know, the gravity isn't the same on the moon, but they're on the moon. But I also don't want them wearing spacesuits, like just throw like science <laughs> and logic out the window. Just have them like dressed like they normally dress, but they're just on the moon. And I, I would watch that. And they're shooting guns at each other. I don't know.
1: <laughs> I, I think you're not going big enough with this, Chris. Like no? you're just having races on the moon. I imagine like there's a space. There's like two space shuttles. Or spaceships in, in in space, and they have to like shoot a car out of one to hit the other, or something like that.
3: I mean, yeah, I'll, I'm up for that. Or maybe they have to steal the moon. There's like, they have to bring the entire moon to the <laughs> to the planet Earth. I just, I'm moon is what I'm going for here. They're gonna do something with the moon, Brad. I feel like you must have some
1: kind of crazy idea for a Fast Nine space thing.
3: Uh, I mean,
2: my crazy idea would be just to turn it into a really emotional drama set in space. And no space action whatsoever. Just really throw people a curveball.
1: Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen, Brad. No? Nothing?
2: No. No. <laughs> okay.
1: Uh, you know, we've been talking a lot during this pandemic about the future of AMC theaters and movie theaters in general. Uh, AMC has reached a new debt agreement to stay afloat during 2021. I'm not even sure what that actually means.
2: Brad, what does it mean? Uh, I, I'm not entirely sure I understand all the financial jargon about it. I don't have a CPA. I, di- I didn't go to, to bank school. Um, but basically the the long and short of it is, is that they made a new deal that they've got um, enough money coming in for, um, from this uh, group called Silver Lake Group um, that now they're able to survive at least through 2021. Uh, the biggest problem AMC Theaters has had recently is that uh, not only had, did they have a $2.2 billion loss um, in the most recent quarter because of the coronavirus pandemic, but their liquidity, uh, which means the money that, that, that they have, is uh, was putting them on the verge of p- having to file for bankruptcy. Uh, but with this, they don't have to worry about that for a little while. And hopefully, we'll see, uh, this means that maybe they won't be so aggressive about trying to get theaters open sooner than is safe. Uh, especially if they know they can survive this long. Um, but at the same time, you know, the theater does have to make money at some point if they want to be able to, you know, pay back their debt and actually survive. Because there was some talk back in the, when things looked like the worst uh, during the pandemic that AMC theaters may not even be able to survive even if theaters open this summer. And as the date for theaters reopening keeps getting pushed back, that seemed riskier and riskier. With this new debt agreement, fortunately, they'll be they'll be surviving for longer than they thought. But it's still a situation where we don't really know, you know, how things are going to be the rest of the year and how much money, if any, they're going to make uh, before they or by the time you know movie theaters get going again.
1: Okay, so when you say that this deal will keep them afloat through 2021, does that mean mm-hmm. it'll keep them afloat till? 2020 until like, january 1st 2020 i believe so that's
2: that's what the the deadline article said that it'll the, this new debt agreement will keep them solvent through 2021 so that they won't have to worry about filing bankruptcy
1: wow that is crazy so i guess uh, no chris nolan just you know let's just move tenant at this point right like
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean I, i'm sure that's gonna happen anyway but uh yeah i don't know it's it's definitely a complicated uh situation to say the least uh, another story that hit on Friday is
1: news that the director of Toy Story 4, Josh Coo- uh, Cooley, is directing this film called Little Monsters about the Universal Monsters. Chris, you must be so excited about this.
3: Uh, I don't know how I feel about this. I mean, I I love <laughs> me some Universal Monsters. And I really like that after uh, botching everything with the, the dark universe, Universal sort of learned their lesson and they're trying to just do this thing now where they throw everything at the wall and see what sticks instead of trying to make a cinematic universe. (laughs) But uh, I'm not entirely sure how I feel about this, but at the same time, it's clearly not exactly geared towards me. So that's okay. But little monsters, uh, not to be confused with the Howie Mandel, Fred Savage movie of the same name. But by by
1: the way, when when this got announced, when we talked about this in our Slack channel, I got so excited because I thought they were remaking that That movie. movie. I loved that movie as a kid. Have, Have you seen that
3: movie? I saw it when I was a kid. I haven't seen it since I was a kid. I remember it being disgusting.
2: Uh, <laughs> also, also not to be confused with the Hulu movie, little monsters, which has Lupita Nyong'o uh, fighting, fighting against zombies with a group of a, a kindergarten
3: class. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I forgot that was called that too. Um, this is described as quote, a live action hybrid monster feature. That's a love letter to classic Hollywood and the history of filmmaking. Uh, that takes a multi-generational approach to the monsters. And honestly, when they describe it like that, I kind of like the idea. I mean, look, I got into the Universal Monsters as as a kid, you know, when I I saw those movies when I was younger. So I do kind of like the idea of trying to introduce a whole new younger audience to the Universal Monsters, because I do think there is a lot there to enjoy. Uh, I just, I really don't want it to be like, anytime there's like a new kids movie being announced that isn't being made by Disney or Pixar, I immediately assume they're going to go for the, the minions approach where everything's like fart jokes and the animation is hideous. And that's what I'm dreading. Like don't make a universal monsters movie about the minions. Uh, but beyond that, <laughs> I, I, I could get a board on this. Well, they already did those. Um, isn't there like the, the monster
1: movies by, uh, what is it from Fox or Sony? Oh, that's um, right, Hotel
3: Transylvania. Yeah. yeah, I don't give me that either. Yeah, so <laughs> I don't want that.
1: I don't. Let's dissect this for a second. For a second. I, I I just have a question about this. So, a love letter to classic Hollywood. I guess that just means we're bringing the the Hollywood monster, the Universal monsters, back. But also, a love letter to the history of filmmaking with a story that takes a multi generational approach to the monsters. So Does that mean we're going to see the monsters through multi? Generations,
3: I guess. Like Frankenstein lives with a family, and everyone keeps getting older, but Frankenstein stays the same age. I would watch that. It's like Bicentennial Man, but with Frankenstein. <laughs> but what do you think? The, also, the history
1: of filmmaking. Like, are they making films, or uh, it's just I mean, it's just I, mumbo jumbo. To like, if I had to
3: guess, I would guess like maybe it's actually literally about someone making the classic Universal monster movies, like you know, back in the '30s and the '40s, and that somehow uh, maybe it's like Roger rabbit where they're making movies about monsters in a world where monsters really exist. That's just like me guessing off the top of my head, but I'm guessing that would actually be pretty cool because what happens to them
1: today after like, no one cares about them.
3: Yeah. They're obsolete down there. It's like the Muppets. They're trying to have a comeback. So yeah, that could be something like that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I I do like Josh Cooley. He did uh, one of the shorts for pixar and then he ended up doing toy story 4 which i think is fine it's good it's just I, I don't think that series needed a fourth installment but uh i don't think that's his fault um i i, I think it did the best best it could possibly do with the fourth, the fourth installment uh so i'm i'm excited i'm interested to see what this is uh okay our last story for today is that netflix is developing a bird box sequel brad tell us about it
2: Indeed. Uh, Bird Box was a big hit for Netflix uh, back in December of 2018. Uh, it had their biggest debut for a movie to date at the time, uh, bringing in uh, an estimated 45 million viewers. Uh, as we know, though, the, uh, since we've learned what those ratings numbers mean, it might not be as impressive as initially thought. But even so, Bird Box was still very popular and uh, you know, generated a lot of memes and buzz. And lots of people watched it um, over the Christmas holiday that year. And uh, there's actually a sequel book that follows up the original book by Josh Mallerman that the movie is based on that is coming to shelves uh, later this month on July 21st. It's called Mallory uh, and it continues the story of Sandra Bullock's titular character uh, and the children that she's taking care of in this weird post apocalyptic world where there's an entity that somehow when you see it compels you to commit suicide, which means you have to blindfold yourself as you try and make your way around the world. Um, And now this book apparently is in development to be turned uh, into a sequel movie at Netflix.
1: So what is the Bird Box sequel even going to be about?
2: So the synopsis says that it's set 12 years after. um, And if you haven't seen Bird Box yet, this is your spoiler warning alert to jump ahead a minute or so. So you don't ruin the ending of the movie starting now. Um, so at the end of Bird Box, uh, Mallory and the two kids she's taking care of—one her own and one of a woman who ended up killing herself after giving birth to this child—they um, end up at this school um, for the the blind, or school for the blind, or school for the deaf. Am I mixing that up? I don't it's know. One of the two. I
3: don't remember. I, I'm pretty sure it's, it's blind because. Yeah,
2: it, that, would, that would make the most sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so they end up there. It's a, it's a sanctuary. Lots of people have found safety there. Um, and this picks up 12 years after that, um, where apparently Mallory hears that somebody that she believed to be dead may be alive. Um, and mm-hmm. then she has to. Wait, and, when is this
1: book coming out?
2: So the book comes out July 21st. And um, Josh – the author Josh Mallerman explained that even though the bulk of the story takes place 12 years after the end of the first book, we will – the story does pick up basically right at the end of the first one. So we do spend some time at the school and then it flashes forward two or three years and then 10 years after that is when like the full story of that book begins. Um, so it's, it's a lot of, it's basically focusing on Mallory confronting the fact that someone that she thinks was dead might be alive, whether or not she's willing to venture out, you know, from this safe area to try to find them, um, you know, which would be require them to try and survive out in that dangerous world again. Um, so yeah, it's, there's like, there's a compelling uh, idea there. It doesn't say who this person is. Um, my, my guess would be potentially, uh, Tom, which is the guy that she fell in love with in this, you know, kind of post-apocalyptic landscape. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it was pretty clear that he killed himself. So, but I, I suppose there's a. It, it does mention that the news that she hears seems impossible. So perhaps it's something that would seem like it uh, doesn't make sense, but is somehow happening. And then there's also uh, her sister, who is played by Sarah Paulson who she threw herself in front of a truck early on when this uh, weird event started happening. So I suppose that's also a possibility as well. But then again, it could easily be somebody from her past that we haven't met yet in the first book or, or movie. So I, I don't know. When's the earliest we could see this on Netflix? I mean, that's a, that's a big question because it depends on how quickly, you know, movies – get back to work uh, in Hollywood because of the pandemic and also how far along they are in development on this movie. If, if I had to bet, I would imagine that they're still working on the script. I I'm sure that they, you know, got a copy of the manuscript of the book in advance to, to work on it, whoever might be writing it. Um, But I would, I would bet we wouldn't see this for at least two years.
1: Yeah. I I ran into a producer, friend over the weekend and i'm not sure if this is true but they were telling me that on union productions in hollywood if you want to go into production this year the you need to get uh something called covid insurance and the price of the covid insurance is roughly 25 percent of the budget of a film additional to like what the film is which just sounds like this is gonna i don't know it feels like it's gonna kill smaller independent productions which i guess some of those don't work on union fees anyways, but um, I don't know it's gonna be crazy to see what gets produced in the the next year as a whole anyways but uh okay let's uh let's get to the end here uh th- it, you can find more of all the stories from today's show. In the show notes, you can find the links there. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at com, And rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you on Wednesday.